0: Hey there, welcome to the House Music Connection Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Fuel, and each week uh, on this podcast, we talk with different artists uh, to, to discuss their stories, some of their challenges and successes, so that ultimately we can all feel, feel more connected uh, as a house music con- community and learn from one another. So my guest for today is uh, Jesse Walker, based in Salt Lake City. For the last couple decades, uh, and and then some, uh, Jesse's been a consistent force uh, in curating house music parties and house music events, and making sure that house music has a place in Salt Lake City, despite some of the weird laws that uh, uh, are kind of prohibitive uh, to dancing and dance music culture. We also discuss a recent project that Jesse has been a part of, where he mentors um, some uh, students from the University of Utah. And they ultimately end up uh, uh, hosting an event and an art installation and uh, raise money for the Frankie Knuckles Foundation. You know, with that, let's just get into the conversation. Hey, Jesse, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, I'm really excited to have you on. And I think uh, listeners, our listeners will uh, get a lot out of this. And, uh, you know, like I said, the whole goal is for the house music community to feel more connected with each other. So um, I'm, you know grateful that you're uh, adding to this conversation. So um, before we really get into or, you know, as we begin things or kick things off, uh, um, how would you describe yourself uh, for those who may not be familiar with you, you what you do, who you are in 60 seconds?
1: (laughs) Well, thanks for having me, Tony. Um, It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Let's see. Wow. Um, I I guess how I've described myself to a lot of people is a designer and DJ because I've been doing both of those things like as long as I can remember. <clears throat> so, um, like many, you know, mid-sized city DJs who have been struggling out there, you know, since the beginning of dance music. In the US, you know, I I came from Idaho and I ended up making my way to Salt Lake City, where I've just kind of been one of the house guys with uh, various entities uh, and friends and and collaborators uh, working on all kinds of projects, um, but mostly promoting, you know, house music and parties and bringing DJs through and being, you know, one of the stops uh, for that kind of thing. But I've also dabbled in art uh collaborations and you know music supervision and um, you know, festivals and you name it I've probably done it wedding Dj <laughs> all kinds of things yeah. but house music has always been my passion and uh, I've been lucky enough to through doing that just over the course of many many years you know like had uh, the opportunity to meet lots of cool people and you know hear lots of great music so just trying to spread the love.
0: Awesome, very cool. So you mentioned Salt Lake City, um, and let's see, tell, what is the Salt Lake City scene like?
1: (laughs) Um, Surprisingly vibrant, I think. Uh, You know, even going back to the 80s, I think, you know, bands that would come through Salt Lake, uh, (coughs) synth bands in particular, um, like, you know, Depeche Mode and Erasure would get some of the biggest uh, audiences in the country Mm. and would consistently come back just, you know, and remember that Salt Lake had a hunger for music and a message, uh, that was, you know, coming, you know, from artists that, you know, kind of signaled a lot of the repression and, uh, angst that is, you know, in a lot of suburban, you know, white predominantly, you know, uh, places in America. Um, But it has changed and evolved over the years. And, um, you know, there was a lot lot of punk and, uh, you know, because of the Mormon church, there's like a a very vibrant counterculture. Um, So I always tell people that it's, uh, you know, It's kind of fascinating that a lot of the subcultures in the city kind of band together because we have a common sort of, uh, I don't don't want to say enemy, but like, you know, Mm -hmm. the Mormon church is a very heavy hand in the legislature and, and the laws and liquor laws. And kind of, you know, there was a bit of a no fun aspect to the, you know, after parties and the, you know, just clubbing in general, um, throughout the years. So. You know, you find a lot of these communities uh, uh, holding hands, and you know, there's a lot of uh, you know working together in a weird way. Like you will see the same person at a punk show and at a rave the next night, and you know, or at a goth club or whatever. Like back in the day, so cool. I love that it's small enough to have that crossover and. Um, but yeah, the, the community is always vibrant, and you know, today we have um, much more multicultural uh, across the spectrum. People coming up doing really cool shit, and um, you know, people doing high five high fi sound system after hours, <clears throat> bringing you know Michael Serafini through to do disco mm-hmm. after hours and horse meat disco. I played with three times you know there, so nice. it's like or twice sorry. Um, uh, yeah, I mean it's surprising.
0: So, yeah. So um, you mentioned the challenges of, of like the liquor laws and whatnot. So I, I spent a little bit of time in Salt Lake City, and I remember at one time there was you had to have like a membership, like to be able to like have a nightclub or like a bar to like, be able to be able to serve liquor. Is that still the case?
1: Uh, think of it as like voter suppression. <clears throat> mm-hmm. <laughs> like imagine going to vote and they ask you for ten forms of ID until you mm-hmm. just give up. So there was just you know there was an extra rule in place that you had to have either buy a membership. It was a private club license, or then they <clears throat> started doing a thing where the door guy could actually be represent somebody that had a membership and sponsor you. Mm. And then you had to like write down your name and phone number and like, you know, it was just silly silliness. Mm. Um, And we've had a myriad of very obtuse laws come into place. One was called the Zion curtain where like in a restaurant you couldn't, you know, See somebody mixing a cocktail, so <clears throat> mm. you had to build this like artificial wall around the, the bartender's section. Where you know, heaven forbid, a child see somebody like you know doing the mm. you know cocktail thing, like this shaking something, they'll instantly want to drink, you know. Um, so yeah, that lasted so about a year, cool. and restaurants spent like X amount of you know they're already struggling, and then they have to like alter their design of their entire restaurant. <clears throat> and, then um, you know, they overturned that. So those all came down. It's just, it's ridiculousness, but the, um, <clears throat> the Olympics, uh, had a huge effect cause you know, governor Huntsman or, or yeah, yeah. He, uh, he convinced most Utahns that we would look ridiculous if we didn't change some things for the Olympics. So it kind of relaxed a lot more right around that point and it's remained pretty chill. Um, there's a lot of states with just as you know restrictive liquor laws, but we did get a bad rap for a lot of that. Um, and surprisingly, when it comes to like after hours, <clears throat> in the 90s, they were prevalent. And then there was a point where one got in particular hot water and they, it was called play school and they, um, you know, they're, they were being taken to court or they tried to fight it. Uh, and they said, well, we're going to, we're going to call ourselves a religion. And they got a lawyer and they're like, well, this is our, you know, our, our religious ceremony is dancing and staying up all night. Yeah. <laughs> and Well, the, the church had way more, uh, money and lawyers than they did, so <clears throat> they, took it to the legislature and created a law called the no dancing after two law, which as far as I knew was on the books forever. And then, you know, the past five, seven years, like after hours have just been kind of going under the radar as private parties where, you know, BYOB and Hmm. everyone's respectful. I've never seen anything go down that would be, you know, dangerous and, you know, I hope it stays that way. It's 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 really magical, actually, after dark in Salt Lake.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, kind of going back to your point of like the whole, the the counterculture. It's just like there are a lot of people who have a lot of energy to to do things that are kind of out out of line, um, I guess, out of step with uh, the religious, um, I guess, environment that they they've been a part of. So yeah, it's it's really interesting. So. Um, Let's see. So you've been in Salt Lake City for, I guess, when did you first, I guess, become involved in the Salt Lake City scene?
1: Uh, well, I was in Idaho Falls, you know, mm-hmm. being a rebellious teenager misfit. Um, when, you know, I was in a high school band. I'm just starting here because it kind of leads into my, how I got to Salt Lake. But, um, you know, it's funny to think how long I've been doing events because I was always in the performing arts. I grew up playing piano and singing in choirs and, you know, doing ballet and jazz dance and all kinds of musical stuff thanks to my my parents. Um, and my band decided that we wanted to bring some bands to Salt Lake, or sorry, Idaho Falls, and we threw a, a big Kind of festival called the Idaho Falls Alternative Music Festival, and I was sixteen, and it was like a massive success for, you know, what we thought was—we had no idea what to expect—and mm-hmm. so that was that's how I got my first taste of like promoting parties. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Then I went away to pick pineapples in Hawaii in Hawaii for six months uh, with a. Troubled teen program that the church was involved in and has now been shut down for a myriad of reasons, but basically mm. child labor. <laughs> mm. And uh, my older brother was the true hellion, and I ended up, you know, just going as the second or third son that they sent away every summer to get some work experience. But you mm. know, I freaking loved it because I was in a tropical island versus like the middle of Ponunk, Idaho. Yeah. Came back and. You know, my whole world had changed. I would turned sixteen, and um, it was nineteen ninety one, and rave was just taking off. And I ran into this uh, whole party scene that was popping up uh, through Jared Gold, who was a you know a rave clothing designer and uh, all around you know creative genius. <clears throat> Big fan of Andy Warhol and you know Studio Fifty Four and like was just bringing all these ideas and funneling them into Idaho of all places, like. <clears throat> and this was happening, you know, a lot of a lot of places across the country, <clears throat> um, but it just was mind blowing to me. I went to my first rave at like a college uh, dance club called the Galleria in Rexburg, Idaho, which is like a you know, 35-minute drive out of town with some friends in a car. And then, you know, I was like, what just happened? I saw DJs for the first time. Mm. And I was already into dance music and, you know, collecting, you know, extended remixes from Depeche Mode and then Erasure and Janet Jackson and Mm. anything I could get my hands on Um, and kind of getting into some of that dance stuff that was available at, you know, Sam Goodies and whatnot, you know yeah uh and i just you know i was like this is this is my life now like so i ended up hanging out with jared gold a lot and incidentally i played a party for him um on new year's eve 30 years ago this uh this new year's eve will be the anniversary of my first time wow
0: congratulations for that milestone that's amazing
1: yeah, I have a feeling there's a lot of DJs that are getting a lot of milestones <laughs> in the <this laughs> next few years here, since yeah. it all kind of popped up around the early '90s, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, he ended up, you know, moving to uh, Salt Lake City and getting involved in the club scene, and he wanted to make clothes and sell them to a wider market and. So, I kind of picked up the torch and threw parties in Idaho for a little while and kind of realized that it was a zero sum game for me as well. And so, I ended up moving with my girlfriend to Salt Lake and, you know, worked with him in nightclubs. And, you know, one of my jobs was just basically to screw in light bulbs and paint every room a different color every week and put up decorations and, you know, it was, uh, I got to see all kinds of crazy stuff and
0: oh sure, yeah, uh,
1: yeah. I kind of transitioned from renegade parties in the middle of nowhere to huge super clubs in downtown Salt Lake that were, you know, it's four or five room, mm-hmm. everything, different, different music style every week and getting promos from the DJs there and making connections. And that's where I met you
0: know, some some of the mentors that helped me out as a young DJ. So was that, um, I guess, around, so a lot of people may not know that Cascade was, he um, spent a lot of time or spent some time in, in Salt Lake City. I think he went to the University, University of Utah, I believe. And then was it around that time that you were, I guess, figuring out your your place in the scene at the time?
1: Uh, that is actually, so I went back to Idaho for almost a year, tried to do some stuff again there. And then I moved back to Salt Lake and that's kind of when I met Ryan through a party that he was throwing at the Manhattan club. You know, he did a Monday night disco party that was hugely popular. Mm. It was kind of a, not quite a, beer bust. Uh, but it was, I mean, this club was amazing. It was, a. It nothing had changed in the Manhattan club since the forties mm. or fifties. And it was like a classic jazz, you know, smoky downstairs, all red carpet, you know, spackled ceiling, vinyl red booths. And if you can imagine like the college crowd, an early version of like hipster Mm-hmm. like they had seen the glory of how amazing and divy it was and kind of became the the place to be on mondays mm-hmm. um, and ryan would play vinyl every week and uh got to know him a little bit and you know he told me how he was repping um for alm um, records in san francisco and you know producing his own music and he gave me a mm-hmm. bunch of vinyl like from the back room one day and and so, you know, I, I ended up playing a party for him and then asked him if I could do any night of the week at the Manhattan, if there was anything available. And he gave me the opportunity to do a Tuesday night <laughs> party, which I did with a friend of mine that I met at a record store named Sergio Hernandez from Chicago, who was living and working in Salt Lake for a couple of years. And one of my dear mentors who taught me all about the Chicago house history and scene, And we called that party New City Movement, which was sort of the inspiration for what I've been doing ever since, which was like, how do we funnel just even the remote idea of house music and house culture and things that are not happening in Salt Lake into Salt Lake City.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. I didn't didn't realize the New City Movement had been around that long. Can you say more about, I guess, what is... What new city movement is now and i guess how it evolved from that that early party series to what, what it is now to this thriving movement or community
1: <laughs> uh that's being generous but yeah i think it, it we have left our mark for sure there's a, a long legacy of you know basically just you know a, a promotion monk monk here right like a, just a, a name for a crew that is ebbed and flowed. And, you know, me and collaborator DJs, you know, Nick James, I did a long party with, um, uh, you know, Sergio, and now, you know, uh, Gizmo and, and Matthew Fitt have been some people that I've worked with, and, and several amazing female DJs in the city. Uh, it's always just been about like fostering new talent and. Kind of keeping something on the regular, you know, happening in the city mm-hmm. that's pretty aimed at, you know, good quality house and techno, and mm-hmm. dabble in some disco here and there. And we work pretty closely with some other crews, social disco clubs, one of them, and uh, you know, they do amazing stuff. And we have a lot of crossover there as well. So
0: cool. So has uh, New City Movement been, mm-hmm. I, I guess, uh, hosting events uh, for, I guess, continuously for this uh, this 20-plus year period? Or was there any like period of breaks or anything like that?
1: There have not been any breaks until this year. <laughs> mm. Actually, we haven't stopped at all. I just moved to another country and kind of handed the keys to uh, Matthew and said, you can go ahead and keep things Going if you want for a while, but yeah, uh, it's funny. I was I was getting tired, like, of promoting parties when I met Matthew, like, some seven eight years ago, and mm-hmm. you know, he kind of gave me an, a, a new lease on life and was like, "I'll help you. I'll I'll be there." And you know, and he really has. He's like mm-hmm. made a whole new tap double new vein of you know DJs and, and techno and. Uh, Coming from the Detroit area, Kalamazoo, like he's uh, he's 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 really blossomed himself as a DJ. Now he's producing. He's put out you know three EPs and uh, nice. Yeah, one of the most amazing, talented, um, genuine, uh, lovely people, and also just a, a huge mentor in the community as well. He's taken on a lot of young DJs and. <clears throat> I do that cool. in a different way, but he literally will invite DJs over to his house and let them use all of his equipment and borrow it. And whereas I'm kind of OCD about my shit, and because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I've seen too much of it disappear over the years or yeah. get hammered, but but God bless him, like he's he's amazing.
0: Very cool. So I guess, um, what do you think have been some of the factors that have helped New City Movement? succeed i guess what and then i guess so there i guess i have a couple of questions uh how has how like what what factors have helped new city communities succeed and then i guess um how do you go about promoting events i guess those are two two kind of separate questions
1: um i think the success if you can say that we've been successful on anything it's just like, perseverance, like, literally just not uh, not stopping and constantly, you know, being involved and, uh, you know, supporting other people too, like always trying to go out to other parties and see what's popping and, you know, not be afraid of new styles of music and you know, younger people and clubs and after hours and day parties and... You know, like we've, we've touched and been a part of a lot of different scenes in the city and been, even been involved with the city itself on a number of levels. So, you know, gay pride's always been a huge thing for us. Um, mm. New Year's Eve, uh, we do a huge annual event called the bunny hop, which is a huge Easter Sunday fundraiser, 13 mm. years. Um, So that's uh, one of the biggest parties in the city every year. Like, uh, you know, we had a mile long line last year to get in, and people could not get in for most of the day, like, and were still wearing smiles when they finally arrived in the doors, like, it's 5 or 6 p.m., and we opened at 11. Mm. I was like, what is, how did this become? what it is now (laughs) you know but it's really i think i think the real magic that we have tried to do is just bring people together and i think that's just the core of what house music is all about right
0: Mm, for sure Mm -hmm.
1: and so you know people meet each other and they you know they get to have a chat and they break down you know whatever boundaries they might have over the course of you know. Two to the four hours of dancing mm-hmm. and just let it all hang out, and then out of that, become like comes real deeper connections that right. last a long time.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. I love that. Cool. And then so um, I guess so. I guess how have you stayed connected to the community, the new you know, the community of New City Movement? <laughs> Is there like an email list? Is that you rely one hundred percent on social media and word of mouth?
1: Oh man! I mean, it's like any any party promoter. We we have an email list. Um, we did a guest mix series. Uh, I think we have up to thirteen or fourteen mixes. Um, you know, I've done guest mixes for people across the country. Uh, been in chat rooms going back to like the early days of deep house pages. Um, hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean it's just like social media, which is the bane of my existence anymore. It's like I'm, I'm on a big social media break at the moment, I'm just like mm. loving not posting anything. <laughs>
0: Congratulations, that's it's awesome. Just,
1: yeah, I mean it's kind of it's like a dragging an anchor around all the time to feel like you have to be present and telling people every with everything you're doing. And I was one of the first early adopters, you know, like I I have nothing against it. And I think it's amazing and can be used very powerfully, but it's a lot of work, you know, mm-hmm. so, but it does keep you connected to your audience, right? And that's what they want is they, they need the content. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, um, so you do design work, uh, I guess, uh, <clears throat> has there been any like crossover between i guess like the skills that you've learned through design and branding and whatnot to promoting i mean i guess is there is there is branding important at all um and i think that as an underground scene we kind of like to we kind of shy away from trying to focus on brand really at all too much but um i don't know i think that i don't know we have a brand whether we are in intentional about it or not I guess what I guess yeah. what are your thoughts on branding uh and design and how that translates or if there is any crossover to developing a, a an enduring party series
1: oh absolutely I mean and you hit the nail on the head like whether you're doing it or intentionally or not like you're still projecting something mm. even if it's like You know, no phones allowed at our party, and and you know, you have to call the hotline, and there's no flyer kind of thing. Like that's still your vibe, and you know, people are talking about it. So whether it's word of mouth or it's a logo or it's like using the same font on every flyer, which you know, I know some people do. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, that's actually. Definitely one of the ways that I got into music was through cover art and photography, and you know, just being fascinated with the entire package that came around like an album that you would buy, and Mm. from the music videos to this and that, and then you get into record labels like Defected, and like you know, and seeing like the whole community that they would build around the world, you know. Mm -hmm with consistent packaging and like <clears throat> you know the artists that they booked and the remixers so i think that's kind of part of the world that i came out of was trying to ape a lot of that and because i had no real on the ground reference um it was this visual component that really was so e- the easiest Thing for me to like, try and replicate, <laughs> like mm. fake, um, and eventually, you know, we became a real boy at some point, point. Um, mm. and that's really how we all kind of do it, right? You're all just, we're all just trying to like, you know, figure it out. And there really are no rules at the end of the day, and that's kind of what's so cool about it. Like, you know, just trying to get to the source of the. The beat.
0: Sure. Cool. I love that. All right. So uh, I guess I'm kind of changing years now. My thoughts are kind of random sometimes, but uh, um, so. Sorry, I might, I, uh, might be rambling too. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, it's good. I love this conversation. So um, as you've promoted events, um, I guess what advice would you have for DJs who are trying to get booked? What are what are some right ways to go about trying to get booked and what are some wrong ways of trying to get booked?
1: Uh, I, I'm not the, you know, judge and juror of how that happens in, in any given scenario. But I mean, as far as we're concerned and my experience is, I, I always find it helpful when people try to get involved in, in the scene that they're, They want to get booked in, right, and Mm -hmm. kind of show up and be supportive. And you know, I think dancing is important. Like, are you there really to just stand on the sidelines and you know, you know, uh, what is it called, Train Spot, (laughs) Train Spot (laughs) Records? And I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that. You know, definitely be like a music. obsessive and and you know be into that that's sort your of thing but i think that going there for the music and the getting lost and the, the, the vibe and the dance and the people and making friends i think that's a huge part of it for me mm. um because that's how people get to know you as a as a person and i think what you're bringing behind the dj booth is a reflection of how you are in your everyday life and so You know, if you're willing to let people in and then reflect that back out, um, through your music, like that's a powerful thing for me.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like authenticity is pretty, I guess, pretty important. Um, yeah. I mean, when you say the
1: wrong way, I mean, don't come in and just be like the expected, um, big ego, you know, no experience, person that's that's cute and everything but you know Mm -hmm. like I don't think it really wins you any points to be demanding and sure not really give anything in return yeah show up and lift some speakers and like volunteer and like do all that stuff like start at the ground level and
0: there you go great value (laughs) and like you (laughs) said it's just a be a part of the scene and the community yeah cool
1: you can get other other jobs that way too <laughs>
0: yeah for sure all right so i guess um how so we, we talked about salt lake city um and new city movement i guess what have been some things that you've seen that have changed uh, or i guess what are the, some of the biggest changes that you've seen over the years uh in house music um just the scene in general yeah yeah
1: yeah oh, uh, that's a big one but i think it's it's also cyclical which i think is so fascinating like there's so many threads that are interwoven like you know throughout the history of you know dance music like we remember when you know disco came back for the first time in the 90s as mm-hmm. like whoa this is cool again like let's dress like Bell bottoms, and then go to raves and listen to delight. who was tapping into that kind of vibe, right?
0: right. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so, disco never goes away. It's always like permeating everything in some way or another, whether it's like through the quality of the music, or the production style, or the sound system quality, or you know, just the I don't know. It's so, like. Take that and transfer it to you know Rave, the Rave scene, which is coming back in so many different strains now, too, like with happy hardcore and like breakbeats and you know even cheesy Euro dance songs that are making their way onto dance mm. floors for no apparent reason. Mm. People are like, wait, what? <laughs> Just to like turn heads and everything. I just think it's super fun. Like, I mean, that's what dance music all about—is like keeping you entertained and surprised and happy. And mm. you know, it's all about creativity. Um, the sky's the limit. So, yeah, I, I think that there's there's a lot more democracy in what's happening, which I think mm. is awesome. Um, you know, the dancers. Um, not just the promoters uh, are getting involved in how uh, their parties are shaped and, and promoted and who's you know how, how people get invited or, or let in or, or or who they're reaching out to. I think it's just like it's becoming way more inclusive in like a totally different way. and it's, it's very cool.
0: Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I can see that over the years. Yeah. Yeah, it's, just, it's interesting. I kind of took a long break for a while after um, being in the scene for a while and then I came back and it's just, uh, I think that the, at the time that I was kind of like, uh, I guess reinserting myself into the scene, um, a lot of people also were kind of doing that at the same time. I, it was just, uh, we kind of started our lives and we're kind of at a point and kind of took that break for like home and family and and you know career and all that stuff and then we kind of got to a place in our, our lives where we <laughs> could kind of do something again so um but then mm-hmm. i don't know it's it just seems like there was like kind of this like big wave i don't know 2015 2016 2017 of people getting re-interested in you know i'll say in air quotes proper house um again and it's just <laughs> uh it's, I mean, it's always been there. There's, it's never died or anything, anything like that. Yeah. But uh, when you talk about the cycles, I think that I don't know that there was that like that big wave that came, and we're kind of like seeing at the tail end of that a uh, little bit as as the, another generation kind of comes of age and they're more interested in like what was happening in the, you know, the early two thousands and whatnot. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of it's just interesting to, interesting to think about. Yeah,
1: okay. like the Spice Girls are suddenly cool again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I I love that period that's been happening, like that you're talking about, where we are suddenly seeing hearing these um, references back to like classic, you know, Garage House, yeah. Yeah, but like a little tweaked or maybe a little more techie or something. Or um, that's really uh, that's pretty cool, you know, that people are want to get back into that so
0: everything new everything old is new again for sure i'm
1: always i'm always a big proponent proponent of you know who's using real instruments um mm. i think you can do a lot with synthetic sounds and but like you know there's only so many fake you know flutes that i can hear or mm. you know like vibraphones or whatever like when you hear the real thing there's like there's just a quality to that is that is you know immutable and and so mm-hmm. lasting so like you know a masters of work production you know with like new york and soul it will just live on forever because mm-hmm. it is so such a masterwork right compared to like the track of the week that comes right. out you know with the same same vibe as last week
0: <laughs> yeah that's true well, cause, and it takes more, a little bit more of a commitment because you know it's it's easy enough to I mean I shouldn't say easy because there, there there's some skill involved for sure for production no matter what but then trying to you know, coordinate schedules and let go of some control sometimes uh, and just let the session player you know do their thing it's it's it can be hard to let go of uh, let go of that uh, that control and then just let things go and kind of relax into what's happening or what can happen and and open yourself to the possibilities as a producer so yeah mm-hmm. i never i definitely need to i think experiment with that a little bit more I've, you know i've done a little bit of that but you know, there's i learned so much and um i've i feel like i've grown when i've done tracks that have had like those live instruments that you're talking about so yeah i, I definitely yeah. didn't need, need to do more of that so
1: yeah. I wasn't specifically talking about you, but oh, no, I know, <laughs> <laughs> and I
0: did not mean to make it about me. Oh my goodness. I'm going to have to edit, edit that out or something. No, <laughs> no, no, but, no, <laughs> that's going to make me sound I, really self-centered. Oh my goodness. Yeah. No,
1: but like, yeah. I mean, that's how so many producers start out and like, yeah. that is their world and there's nothing wrong with that. You can really push mm. the limits of, and you can totally see the creativity and the people can like really really go to even with just the, the smallest amount of you know tools mm-hmm. um, and that's amazing but those people should be you know reaching even further like you're saying like because mm-hmm. you have that talent so why not like push it to the limit and
0: yeah Maybe this guy's it's there interesting there, I-, yeah. <laughs> I was talking with uh sensei he's uh he's the other day he's, he's going to be on a, on the podcast as well uh in a future episode um maybe it'll be passed by the time we actually <laughs> release this one but uh, yeah so sensei was uh talking about how he uh does live keyboards uh for his dj sets or you know to support other djs doing their dj sets and it, it adds oh, a whole cool. new dimension that you just i mean i can only imagine the dimension dimensionality that is created by that kind of and because I've never actually experienced that before so oh, be yeah. lovely to see that and experience that in person so
1: yeah. I've, I've seen lots of DJ sets with drummers and mm. like bongo players and then actual like full kit drummers we had we had one that would play with us at uh, just want to dance at W lounge, the amazing W lounge that went for 10 years in Salt Lake mm. um, I think his name was Pete Simpson no, mm. I can't remember something. But and just yesterday, or or a couple days ago, I was flipping through Instagram and saw Marcus Wyatt was mm. playing like the Daybreaker anniversary party on the pier in Santa Monica, like, and they had the most amazing session drummer and uh, keyboardist like around him, and I was like, my mind was. Blown and how mm. amazing the people were re- receiving it, and like how well they were integrated into the tracks. Like you really mm. have to check out this video. I'll send it to you. But <clears throat> mm. I, you know, I, I told Marcus like you need to go on tour with these guys because this is a whole other level. Like that's crazy. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, real instruments, whether in the studio or you know, on the dance floor and, you know, take it to make, make things really pop.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's see of changing gears again. Um, there's so much that I want to cover. Um, so you've talked about Salt Lake and you did spend so much time there, but you recently moved to Vancouver. How has that transition transition been? Um, and um, I guess uh, how do you, you know, we're in house music for life, basically, right? So, how do you, I guess, yeah. uh, trans? How do you, ing- how do you my insert yourself is- into the scene? You know, to an, a new city.
1: Uh, <clears throat> well, we we kind of moved here for my husband's work. He's in the film industry, and there's um, a lot more of it here. Um, mm. And he's worked in Canada many, many times over the years. So. Uh, it was kind of a natural thing that we've been talking about for a long time. Um, it didn't make it any easier, you know. Like I have been pretty uh, planted in Salt Lake City for <laughs> mm-hmm. so long. So it was a real life change for me, like selling everything I owned, literally entire my entire record collection, save four boxes of vinyl. Um, but that was actually a beautiful thing because I sold it to, through a co-op that some friends of mine had opened, Mm. like literally right when I needed it most. Mm. And they, they literally just took everything out of my music room. Like the, the shelves that my husband built for me with all my records on, like they took the shelving Mm. and, you know. All this other crap that I needed to get rid of—it was a—it was a godsend because all those records have now gone back out into the community. Um, like I've almost sold the entire thing, and vinyl's worth more than it was when I bought it, which is crazy. Yeah, and so like (laughs) actually made some money off of it, which is—I was like, this is such a win-win. I was here thinking that I was gonna have to like. Piece mail it out on discogs, you know, which I've mm. never been into, and I just couldn't see myself being that that guy, like in my basement, you know, like <laughs> wrapping each piece of vinyl in you know paper and mailing it out. Um, so that was amazing, and um, but it was hard. and And this past six months we've been here has just been a huge reset. Um, between just immigrating, which is a whole nother level of uh, difficulty. Mm. I'm now a permanent resident. My husband's a dual. Um, mm. I'm very grateful for that. I know it takes a lot of people much longer and, and, and have many more hardships than I do. So I feel very privileged in that um, we've been allowed into the country. And, um, but in between that, you know, of course I've, you know, I've. Gotten to know the neighborhood. I'm in a very gay neighborhood in downtown Vancouver, in the West End. Um, uh, Davey Street. To parties. Yeah. Davy is a uh, eclectic, to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I've been here, you know, over the years. Uh, brought some DJs from Vancouver. Um, Jay Tripwire's been super kind. Mm. Uh, we've hung out at some parties, and you know, I've known DJs have come through here already uh, that's just the advantage of being old right so (laughs) and that's the great thing about house music you can go anywhere you can go to a record store you can go to an after hours a dance club and kind of know you can just spot who the players are you can reach out to people on Instagram like it's you know I feel like there's just an instant community that you always have access to so that's that's been lovely. and I don't have any intention of DJing here really at the moment, but I have been mentoring some younger DJs that have like kind of come into my reality, and they're really lovely. So I'm more excited about what they're doing than what I'm doing.
0: Cool. So have you, uh, <laughs> I don't know, you mentioned earlier about kind of being. Um tired of like you know promoting like all the time like something all the time and so and you finally got the help that you you know the team that you needed for new city movement do you ever have like the itch do you think that you might have like an itch to uh promote anything in Vancouver or are those days behind behind you now are the promoting days behind you
1: no they're not um yeah it's funny I've I've been working on a separate project that just has slightly different ambitions um, called Neon Rodeo which mm-hmm. grew out of a uh, project that I was brought into at the University of Utah and um, it was just an amazing experience and I'm like, so grateful for that um, introduction to lots of young minds that like really dove into house music history and Created an amazing Capstone project that, like, amazingly, we got the Frankie Knuckles Foundation involved in mentoring you know these these people, these young people, and um. That's awesome! Kind of I think I read about that in so, Five
0: Magazine. Five Magazine, maybe or what? Or, but there was one publication that like talked about the yeah the University uh, of Utah Frankie press. Knuckles exhibit.
1: Yeah, we got some yeah. press with Five, and um, yeah, we're. The resident advisor pick for each year that we've been doing this event. Um the next year we that that project was called Neon Desert. Um, and then we decided to uh rebrand as Neon Rodeo because it was a, a festival called Neon Desert. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Um and so it's an ever-evolving thing, it's not a you know, it's not a solid. Thing yet that has my name on any dotted line. It's more of a labor of love, and mm. uh, but we do have some exciting things kind of in the works. So um, I think it's going to keep evolving and kind of be interesting, and maybe even tap into more art and interactive uh, installation type mm. stuff, and maybe less of a less of a urban dance music festival. Sure.
0: So um, can you say more about that Reggie Knuckles exhibit? Because not, you know, not everyone had the opportunity to experience that. And what was that like? I mean, what was the, I guess, what were the components of that exhibit? And I guess walk us through the, the, I guess, how it worked and what did it look like?
1: Well, yeah, I was, I mean, I was brought in as an advisor just to someone who had been, you know, on the scene in Salt Lake for as long as I had. So I I contributed what I had to offer. Um, And these students, I think there were maybe 11 of them or so, Um, they really just dove into the history. And they wanted to honor um, the, the scene and the originators in Chicago specifically that we were kind of diving into by uh, celebrating Frankie. And and so we reached out to them and had a couple Zoom calls and and they looked at what they had put together. Each student was given like a zone that -hmm. they had full ownership of um, to do something that they thought was an experience that tapped into the theater of you know, experience basically, which is this white paper that this whole project was based on like how, how to, how to really enrich an experience to the level where people really open up and remember it forever. Um, so it was just kind of amazing and mind blowing and inspiring like what these kids came up with, um, for young, young people, young adults, um, you know, one, one artist like did, you know, artwork just completely all brand new artwork uh, with neon rodeo or yeah, logos on everything neon desert, um, completely original, like album covers that, you know, they did. And then there was a zine and then mm. there was a whole like timeline of the history of dance music. Um, and yeah, we, we raised money for the Frankie Nalkus Foundation. It wasn't a lot, but I think we donated maybe $5,000.
0: Um, That's awesome.
1: I could be wrong. I don't know, but it was, a, it was a decent amount. And we had three different rooms. We had a chill-out area. <laughs> it was mm. like... It just turned into a really a raging house party, which was the goal of the class—like to throw mm. a house party, which I thought was the coolest thing I would ever heard of. Like, yeah, <laughs> I never went to sure. college, but I would go if that was what I was allowed to do. <laughs>
0: yeah, for sure. <laughs> cool. So I'll be sure to um, get that link from you. Like to—is yeah. there any? I guess there is. There, is there anywhere online that people can kind of like check it out? Like where what, yeah. what happened? For, for we'll that go to
1: neonrodeo.com. Neon uh, check out the photo galleries and the videos on the homepage. To recaps from the past couple years. Um, last year, we got uh, a whole exhibit, um, uh, permission to reprint from Movement um, Music Festival in Detroit mm. uh, about the uh, heroes of Detroit techno. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like a, a huge win. Like, I can't tell you how much work that was to get to uh, the right person to give me the go ahead on that. Mm-hmm. But i um, so honored to be allowed to do that in a place that has no business, you know, like <laughs> celebrating Detroit or Chicago, you know, we're predominantly white, but there's, there's mm-hmm. a lot of uh, interest and there's a lot of passion and a lot of uh, people coming into the scene that You know, have something to contribute, so it's it's really beautiful.
0: I love that. Awesome. All right, so let's see. Um, Is there anything that um, you would like to let listeners know about, as far as like your philosophy on house music and parties and whatnot? We've covered a lot of it already, but is there anything any central message that you would I guess say is uh, something that you believe in?
1: I would say just don't ever lose. Um, always stay in like contact with your inner, you know, mm. child or the dancer that you, you know, that first experience you had with house music that really touched you um Mm. that made you um have a transcendent experience like don't forget that that's the reason you're doing it and Mm. that um that you also are allowed to go back to that place for your own selfish reasons Mm. um and it's not just about creating you know or, or doing something for your you know your own um aggrandizement or you know Mm -hmm. or or being popular or or you know being famous or whatever like that should that should always be your touchstone right to like go back to that and whether it's just for yourself but also to share it with other people
0: Mm, i love that very cool thank you so much and thanks for uh, you know uh, agreeing to do this podcast
1: of course yeah anytime all right All right.
0: Take care. I hope you've enjoyed this content. I have a free gift for you. If you feel overwhelmed by all of the tasks that we have to complete as artists today, my release roadmap can help. You can download it at tonyfuel.com slash roadmap. It's absolutely free. The tool helps clear up mental energy for creative activities because it gives you one place to manage all of your tasks related to music production, demo submissions, releases, and social media. Gain clarity and make more music today by downloading the the release roadmap at TonyFuel.com slash roadmap.